Well, if you take your Bible, if you do that, take your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount, of course. And chapter 5, I'm going to start reading at verse 27 through the end of verse 30. 27 through 30, and you'll see right away that uh, you know these are, these are some of the more spectacular verses. Uh, they, deal, uh, they deal with sex, lust, and adultery something we hardly ever hear about in our culture. Um, And so let's read them first, and then let's try to get them in context, all right? Jesus is speaking in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that all or that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Um Context. Now, you, we read these verses, and again, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a, little more, uh, you know, a little more interesting, you might say, than some other passages of Scripture. And so you look at this, and immediately we have to ask, what is the context for this? You know, why, why is Jesus even saying this? Why does he bring this up? And context is really important because if we don't get the context right, if we don't get the context right, then we could misapply this. We could misapply it. We could say, well, it means this and has to do with this. Um, so we can misapply it if we don't get the context right. Also, if we don't get the context right, we ourselves can fail to understand just what Jesus is speaking about. Uh, again, um, you know, a lot of the outside world looks at the church and you know, we start talking about the subject of sex and they think that we're very prudish and... Uh, uh, either that's all we talk about or that we uh, are anti-sex and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's important that we get the context of this rather than just throw it out there in, in, in midair. So that's what we want to do first is get the context. What is Jesus talking about? And we are in the section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is continuing his examples of exceeding righteousness. If you look at verse 20, Okay, look at verse 20. This verse is really important for understanding what we're looking at tonight. Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness, you remember, it, you know, righteousness is uh, God's standard, or, 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 or God's standard of rightness, okay? Um, uh, and, and so... If we, if we say, okay, I want to meet God's standard of rightness. I, I want to I meet his demands. I want to meet those. Well, we're going to have to do that in an exceeding way. We're going to have to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, first thing I want to point out, again, in that verse is, if we don't, if we don't, it says you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to think for a moment of a place that you, you know, let's say a place you would want to go to or you would want to gain entry. And, and, and so you're told, well, here's how you get in. Here's how you get in. 
and you'll never get in unless you do it this way. And so what, we're, what Jesus is saying here is you're never going to get in the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now what, again, what does that mean? Um, now, we, you, we can't even begin to understand this unless we read the New Testament and we go, who are these scribes and the Pharisees? And what, what kind of righteousness did they have? How did they go about trying to meet God's standards? And here, here's a little hint, okay? It's just one. You can, there's numerous of them in the Gospels, okay? But here's one. Remember where Jesus spoke of the Pharisees and said, he says, you whitewashed tombs. He called them whitewashed tombs. Now, these are some of the most religious people in biblical times, the Pharisees. And he looks at them, and he says, you are whitewashed tombs. What do you think he meant by that? Somebody tell me. What do you think? What, what did he mean by that? What do you think? Okay, say it again. Good, look, they look good on the outside, but not so good on the inside. Okay? And so when Jesus said that, he is saying to all of us, he is far more concerned about inward reality than external or outward appearance. Okay? So, so this is, you know, we, we want to we learn about Jesus. Jesus said, come and learn of me. And so want to learn something about Jesus. Jesus is far more concerned about internal or inward reality, what's really going on in our hearts as opposed to outward appearance. And so when he says your righteousness is going to have to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, he means that we're going to have to live a righteousness that exceeds in kind rather than in degree. Uh, it's going to have to be genuine Jesus is more concerned about the genuineness and sincerity rather than the quantity, okay? Does that make sense? Not, not, not just, you know, just, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, you know, I've got this done, I've got this done. It's more in, 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 in sincerity and genuineness as opposed to degree or how much. It's a righteousness of the heart. It's internal first. And, and from, what, from what's inside will show up externally. Again, one other thing, it's a righteousness with focus, not so much on more and more obedience, which that's good, but the focus is not on that. It's on a deeper and deeper obedience. All right? So this is the context. Jesus has started back in... Verse 20 saying, look, your righteousness is going to have to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees or you'll never get in the kingdom of heaven. And so next, he kindly, graciously gives us examples of exceeding righteousness. You see, he, he's, he's, not, he's not the kind of speaker that says, your righteousness is going to have to see that of the scribes and Pharisees. We're done. Let's pray. And, and you're left going, uh, I sure wish he'd elaborated on that a little bit. I sure wish you would have told us because we got to know because if we don't know, we can't get in the kingdom of heaven. See? And so Jesus very kindly gives us some examples. That's the context for what we're looking at tonight. Okay? Jesus is not just sitting there and all ticked off about sex, you know, like he's some kind of prude, like I mean, you, you bunch of, you bunch of you know, sick sexual people. You know, no, it's not that at all. 
he, if the context is, I'm concerned about you know, your righteousness and how you're going to live that out. Okay? So beginning in verse 21, we looked last week at these. Beginning in verse 21, Jesus begins to provide examples of exceeding righteousness. Last week, he drew our attention to the contrast between murder and anger. Um, you remember, you hear, you know, most of you were here, so you know, uh, someone might be able to say, I have never murdered anyone. Well, Jesus said, okay, fine, you, you've never committed an outward act of murder, but how about, have you ever, have you ever insulted anybody? Have you ever demeaned anybody? If, if, you know, have you ever called somebody a fool? Have you ever called somebody, called somebody an empty-headed blockhead, you know, and, and you've demeaned people? Jesus said, you know, that's the seedbed of murder. That, that kind of internal, see, he, 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 goes, he goes internal, but we might say, externally, I've never killed anybody. Okay, but what about internal? See, internal has more to do with the exceeding righteousness. That's the kind of righteousness that Jesus is focusing on. Now, this evening, he is contrasting adultery and lust. Um, but, but before we consider what Jesus means, let's first understand what he does not mean. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. Uh, some have said that Jesus is saying this. If you lust in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. Now, let me say this again. I want you to listen real close because I'm going to ask you whether this is true or false. Some say that what Jesus is saying here is if you lust in your heart, it's the same thing as committing adultery. Now, is that what Jesus is saying? Let me give you a hint. No. <laughs> no. You see, it's, it's been explained that way. So, some people say, well, hey, you know, Jesus is just saying it's the same thing. You lust, you lust in your heart, same thing as committing the act of adultery. Don't think so. Jesus is rather saying that lust condemns you just as adultery condemns you. Now, that's not the same thing as saying that lust in your heart is the same thing as committing adultery. It's not the same thing. What he is saying is, look, Adultery condemns you, and so does lust. But, but, but they're obviously not the same, are they, in some way? I mean, I don't know too many spouses that would, you know, you know let's, let's say, you know, if you said, uh, if, if you got up one morning and you said to your spouse, I'm going to go lust today. Now, that would be bad enough, but I think it would be worse. I think your spouse would probably figure it's worse if you said, I'm going to go commit adultery today. I'm going to go commit the act of adultery. You would, you would recognize, whoa, you know, I'll take the first one you know, over the second, right? Right? See, so, so they're, they're not the same, okay? Um, they both condemn, okay? So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching that God's law not only addresses external sins, but also sins of the heart. Lust and adultery, and I think some of this is in your notes, I'm not sure, but can't remember, but lust and adultery are the, the same family of sins, but they are different degrees of maturity, okay? So you, you see adultery and lust, okay, they're in the same family of sins, but one of them is a bit more mature, you might say, than the other, okay? Adultery would be a bit more mature than lust. For, for, I'll give you some examples. Here. Lust is the seed where adultery is the weed. Lust is the root. Adultery is what? 
the fruit. Okay. So lust and adultery are in, in quality, they are the same, in that they are the same sort of sin. However, they are different in quantity. Their degree of severity is exceedingly different, as we just illustrated just a moment ago. Now, just just to reflect a little bit back on last week, which will help us for this week. Last week, uh, Jesus said, okay, you know, there's not only physical murder, but there's, there's personal insults. And we asked last week, would you want someone to, you know, to stab you with a knife or to insult you? Uh, and, and so we realize, though they, again, are some degree in the same family, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not exactly the same in reality. We would prefer somebody to insult us, you know, in that way, uh, rather than stab us, you see. So these sins, just tonight, as we're looking at lust and adultery, they're similar, but Jesus did not say that they are the same. And so I want to kind of get that out of the way and clear, you know, make this clear and re- not get confused here. But before we move from this, someone might say, I can almost hear it, someone might say, but wait. Doesn't the Bible say if you break the law in one point, you're guilty of all of it? And yes, it does say that. Lust, yes, lust breaks God's law in the same way that adultery does. However, that doesn't mean that these sins are the same to God. Let me say that again. Because what we're doing is we're just sticking our toe in the subject of are all sins the same? And many, you know, many people will say, oh, all sins are the same. All sins are the same. Well, now, not so quick. Uh, for example, Jesus said this to Pilate. He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Hmm. Hmm. All sin, bad. Okay. All sin, Equally bad in degree? No, no. Uh, Adultery, uh, the physical act of adultery is far worse than than imagining it in your heart. They they both condemn, okay? Again, in that way they're the same. But adultery is far worse in its ramifications. The outward act is far worse in its ramifications than imagining it in your heart. And so again... It takes us just a little bit into the subject of are all sins equally the same? Uh, no, no. So we've looked at first the context. We understand the context. Jesus is like, I want to help you here to understand this exceeding righteousness because if you don't understand it and, and your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And so we looked at that first. Now, secondly, we looked at what is Jesus not saying. He's not saying at all here that adultery and lust are on the same level of, uh, of degree. So, what does Jesus mean and why does he make this statement? Well, look at verse 27 again with me and just want to remind you, lest we forget, he says again, you have heard that it was said. Now, if you were here last week, you remember back in verse 21, he said the same thing. And why is it important that we understand this? You remember last week in verse 21, you've heard it said uh, that, that you shall not commit murder. And that's obviously he's, he's stretching back and going, okay, in the Ten Commandments, it says you shall not murder. 
Now this week, you shall not commit adultery. Same, same stretching back to the Old Testament. But he doesn't say, you'll remember that it is written. doesn't say that. He says it in other places throughout the New Testament to say, okay, here's what the Old Testament says. But he doesn't do that here. And there's a reason. He said, you have heard that it was said. And what he is referring to is the teaching of the rabbis and the Pharisees and the scribes. They were reaching back into the Old Testament and they were teaching it. And Jesus is saying, you know, I need to straighten some things out here. <laughs> you know, their, teaching, their teaching certainly covered the shall not commit adultery, the physical act, the external act. But again, exceeding righteousness goes internally. I'm Jesus is saying, I'm concerned about the inward reality here. And so, so that's why he says, you know, you've heard it said, uh, but, but I say, in verse 28, I say to you, okay, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully. Jesus' words are intended to expose the heart of self-righteous people who felt satisfied because they had not crossed a certain moral line. Uh, let me just go ahead and say this. Uh, this this Sunday, you know, we're working through we're working through a series of hot topics. The first week we looked at, you know, should a Christian smoke pot? Last week, should a should a Christian drink alcohol? Uh, this week, it will have to do with pornography. And I, I don't want to I don't want to I want to go into all of it right now. I just want to say this: what we have to be very 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 careful of is an attitude that says, well, I don't smoke pot. I'm going to do something stupid like that. I don't smoke no pot. And then the next week, I don't, I don't drink. I don't, I don't drink. Alcohol's never touched my lips. And then we get down to this. We all, oh, I don't view pornography. If we're not careful, what is the danger? Somebody tell me, what's the danger? Pride, or another way of it, it's self-righteousness. To look and go, I don't do things. It's disgusting other people who do them. I can't believe it. You know. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful as we go through these kind of things uh, that we don't you know, develop a self-righteous attitude of, I don't do these things. What's wrong with these other crazy people? Because the truth is it may not be pot. It may not be uh, you know, alcohol. It may not be pornography. It may not be... But you know, I was just sharing with Catherine, you know, nobody ever goes to a cookout. You know, you all standing around, you cook, cook it out, and everybody's talking and everything. And what did you do this week? Well, I watched 10 hours of pornography. You know, nobody, nobody does that kind of stuff. But neither does anybody go, well, what have you been doing this week? I, I used 10 hours of my time to gossip. I slaughtered people. <laughs> I murdered them. <laughs> you know, I bore false witness. You know, don't do that either, right? You see? Uh, and... and Last time I checked, um, you know, there's a lot of other things other than you know, pornography and other things that, that can keep you out of the kingdom of God. And like, you know, again, gossip and, you know, and false witness, all that kind of, a lot of that, there's a lot of other things. And so that's what I'm saying is, you know, we don't want to get too haughty and go, well, I don't do those things. Well, you know, we all struggle. We all fight the fight. We struggle. 
And so, you know, just wanted to say we need to be careful. Because, that, because the reason why I bring it up is because, again, Jesus, Jesus is exposing self-righteous people who say, I've never committed adultery. Oh, you know, just a, the, you ask me such a thing? How dare you? You know, that, that, that kind of like, I could never, I could never do something like that. And so Jesus is exposing again self-righteous attitudes. Uh, because again, somebody could say, well, I've, n- I've never committed adultery, and, meaning externally. And Jesus might say, yeah, but have you lusted? Have you lusted? See? See, just like we can commit murder with our words, we can commit adultery in our hearts or our minds, okay? It's not, the, it's not just the deed. Let's get that clear. It's not just the deed, uh, it's, but it's also, you know, the fault, the lust, okay? Now, um, let's take just a moment here as, as we look at these verses. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus saying that if you have sexual desire, you're going to hell? No, no. And the reason why we need to ask that question and answer is because, again, as we said a few moments ago, many people look at the church and perceive the church to be anti-sex. All the church, you know, when the church does talk about sex, it's always, you know, kind of in an anti-puritanical kind of way of looking at it. And I just want to say this. Open up the Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, not to mention Song of Solomon, okay? Whew, you know, uh, I, won't go, I won't go there tonight, but Genesis 1 and 2. Open that up, and what, what do you see in Genesis 1 and 2? God, a man and a woman, naked, and him telling them have sex, be fruitful and multiply. Right in the first part of the Bible. Now, it's in the context of marriage. <laughs> it's the context of a union between, you know, a man and a woman, but that's what we find in the very first chapter. And what? What do we also find? They're not ashamed. They're not ashamed. Now, this is before Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, of course. That's why we were close, okay? Uh, but the point is, you know, God, God, is, God is not anti-sex at all. You know, so, so you know, I, th- I, think about, I think about, you know, people on the outside of the church who, who would make these accusations of, the well, the church this and the church this. And I'll tell you if you're watching tonight, if you're watching, let me say this to you. The church looks much different inside than outside, okay? That's the truth. When you're outside the church, you're talking, oh, the church is this, the church is this. Tell you what, you, know, you might want to take a look at the inside of the church. and Things will look different. So, uh, it's, 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 when, it's when we go outside the design of God's design for sex that we have problems. And that's kind of what we're looking at. So let's drill down. We got, we got about 20 so minutes here. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's drill down and try to understand what, what is Jesus meaning by lusting, okay? Because that's the big question here. But I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Now, obviously, <laughs> I'm just going to be joking. Obviously, women could never do that, could they? <laughs> Because I know somebody's going to say, well, it, it says, you know, a man and a woman. I don't know that Jesus is letting women off the hook here as if they would never do such a thing. So just needed to throw that in there. Notice it says, but if I say unto you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Uh, notice the phrase, looks at. Now let's take that for just a moment. 
what what does Jesus mean here? And so let's try to clear clear the you know path just a little bit. Clearly, clearly our appreciation of men and women, for example, their looks, their gifts, cannot be wrong. You know, I don't I don't really think that Jesus is saying, "Don't you even look at a woman? <laughs> don't you even look at a man? You know, uh, and 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 don't don't ever say well, she's pretty or he's attractive." You know. I think that Jesus is, is saying that, okay? Uh, this is not a prohibition of the normal attention, or I should say attraction, which exists between the men and women. Um, let, let's, let's face it, you know, sometimes when we, you know, b- before we're ever married, you know, and we, we, we meet somebody, and, and usually there's some sense of an attraction, you know, uh, and so Jesus is not ruling that out, saying, oh, God, don't, don't be attracted to anybody. Don't do that. No, he's not saying that. Jesus is not, listen, Jesus is not forbidding looking, but lustful looking. Let's get that straight, okay? Because he says, everyone who looks at a woman, but then he says, with lustful intent. Jesus is referring here to unlawful sex outside of marriage. That's simple and needs to be said. Jesus is referring here to unlawful sex outside of marriage, whether whether practiced by married or unmarried people. So that's that's pretty clear, but it goes even deeper than that. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time because you might look at it first and go, uh, okay, you know, this, this is obviously Jesus ruling out unlawful sex, sex outside of his design, sex outside of marriage. Okay, we got that. But here's something really fascinating about this verse. Jesus uses a particular word here for lust, where it says a woman with lustful intent. He uses a particular word. In other words, Jesus had a good number of words he could have used that pertain strictly to sex, but that's not the words that he used. The word that he used in in, in the the Aramaic Greek, he chose a word that most often means idolatry and sometimes greed. Now that is fascinating. We're going to take just a few minutes to kind of unpack that. Jesus could have used a number of different words if he just wanted to just talk about sexual activity. But again, he wants to go deeper internally, okay? And so he uses a word that most often means idolatry. We'll explain that in just a moment. And sometimes greed. Now, greed is just one expression of idolatry. So what is idolatry? Let's remember what in a simple definition. Idolatry is looking to something else to give us what only God can give us. Uh, rule out the idea of idolatry j- just being these people in other parts of the world. Let's take Cambodia. This, this month we're focusing on uh, Joel Medlang Allah, the pastor's church in uh, Cambodia in, in the city of Samrip. In that city is one of the biggest temples in all of the world. And I've read a lot about this temple, and I've read a lot because of Joel being right there in the hub of idolatry, where people come and they leave food for the idols, the the gods to eat, 
and and they they go and they do their 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 you know their Buddhist worship, and so in that in that way that's often the way we think of idolatry. We think of people going and bowing before some kind of you know statue or something. But the Bible Bible speaks of idolatry being fundamentally this: looking to something, something or someone to give us what only God can give us. So notice, Jesus is warning here of having the same idolatrous attitude toward sex. People in Siam Reap, they're, look, they're looking for something. They're, they're, they have a need. They have a, they have a need. They haven't looked to the living God for it. They look to idols. And so they go and they, they do their religious practice before the idols. However, Jesus is also saying a person can have that same idolatrous attitude of I need something. There's something I need. I need, I need affirmation. I need love. And they, they go to sex to get that. They're looking to sex to give what only God can give them. And that's what Jesus is drilling down in on here by using this particular word. Okay? So it's not just sexual activity. He's, he's going deeper and saying, hey, what's really going on in your heart? You know, why, why are you looking the way you're looking and, you know, and thinking the way you're thinking? What's, what's going on? What's, what's, who has the title to your heart, really? But then, why greed? This word most often refers to idolatry, but also to greed. Why greed? Jesus is speaking here, now listen, Jesus is speaking here of approaching sex for selfish consummation rather than in the proper God-given context where sex is about giving to a covenant partner. See, sex outside of marriage will be approached in a a selfish way. Here's what I will get from this. Here's what I will get from this, where sex in a marriage, in a covenant agreement, is a giving of oneself. See? Gr- greed, greed is always about me, 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 you know, consuming for me, for me. See? And so isn't it interesting that Jesus chooses the word that goes beyond sexual activity and nails the heart, idolatry. Anyone who looks at a woman in a, an idolatrous way, in a greedy way, for me, it's all about me. It's, it's for what I can have, you see. But then, notice, he says that if you do this, uh, what, what, notice, notice in verse 29 and at the, the end of verse 29 and the end of verse 30. This is, this is kind of helpful here. Your, your, your whole body will be thrown into hell. Okay. Now, the word that Jesus uses here, and you may see this in your, in your translation of the Bible, is Gehenna. Or you'll be cast into Gehenna fire. And it's, it's, it's one dimension. This is one way that Jesus speaks of hell. It's not the only way he speaks of hell. But Gehenna, Gehenna fire, Gehenna was, a, was, was outside the city gates. It was the city dump was where all the garbage and the refuse and uh, even dead bodies would be thrown. And there was a continual fire that just kept going on in this dump. Just a continual fire that just kept burning. 
And some some commentators say this, and I, I think this is right on, that when Jesus speaks of Gehenna fire, he is using that as a symbol of unquenchable thirst and unfulfilled longing. In other words, one dimension of hell will be this everlasting, unquenchable thirst and unfulfilled longing. And see, that's, that's, that's kind of at the heart of idolatry and greed, you see. Always looking, always looking, always looking and never being satisfied. Never being filled, always going here, going here, and going here. And trying to do, go everywhere but to the one who can meet our need, you see. And so isn't it interesting, Jesus said, you know, hey, you'll be thrown into Gehenna fire. You're going to be thrown into a place. You're going to have an existence that's going to match up to your whole lustful, greedy life. Jesus is saying that this is just a continuation of approaching sex outside of God's design, which is looking to sex to give you what only Jesus can give you. And, and if you don't do that, you'll be left unfulfilled. Be left unfulfilled, and it'll, you'll end up in a place of unfulfillment. Fascinating. So, now, uh, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? Okay, you, uh, you do not... Okay. Jesus said, you, you, want, you want to have exceeding righteousness. You want to, you want to live a life of exceeding righteousness. Now, we've got, we got to deal with what's going on inwardly. And so you've been hearing, you've been hearing, you've heard all along, don't commit adultery. But I say, you know, even if you, you know, lust, you, you're idolatrous, you look in an idolatrous way, in a greedy way, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So, the remedy for this, what's the remedy that Jesus gives? And let's look at that in verses 29 and 30. If your right eye, now it's interesting he would use the eye because he's been saying if you look in a lustful way, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand, right hand, now not I, but right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now this is the remedy. So now here's the question. Is Jesus condoning self-mutilization? Thank you for saying no. <laughs> is, you know, is Jesus saying, is he saying literally, you know, you got a you got a problem where you, you know. Wait a minute, isn't the problem the heart? That's really what he's aiming at. Okay, he's aiming at the heart, and so really, you know, plucking out the eye is not going to eliminate the imagination, is it? You know, but the the point is this: is Jesus recommending that we literally pluck out our eye, or whack off our hand? And I bring this up because. Um, how many of you, some of you may subscribe to Hulu, Hulu Network? Anybody? Some of, some of you do, okay. Some of you, you, you may not know what that is, but that's just like, okay, there's, there's okay, let's think about it this way. There's, there's regular TV, you know. <laughs> there's regular TV, and then there's cable TV. But now they've come up with these wonderful things called Netflix, Hulu, and there's all kinds of others. These different networks that, that 
create their own shows. They've got this, this vast array of television shows, and you can subscribe to them, and, and then you, can, you get to watch those. So on Hulu, and by the way, I don't, I don't have this, just so you'll know, uh, there's a program on Hulu called The Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. Some of you uh, have maybe know about it, maybe you've watched it. I'm not, I'm not condemning you if you have. Not, that's not my point here. Uh, just, just want to tell you a little bit about it uh, because it has something to do with the verses we're looking at. Uh, it, is, it is based on the book, The Handmaid's Tale. It's a novel by Margaret Atwood. Here's what it's about. Now listen, this is why this is a big deal because a lot of people are saying that Margaret Atwood who wrote this, you know, back some years ago, I want to say, can't remember exactly when it was, but it's been back in the last 30, 40 years. Some are saying that she was real prophetic because that this book and the program reflects what people are afraid America is going to turn into today because of religious people. So here, here we go. Here, here's what it's about. Uh, the United States government has been overthrown by an authoritarian regime known as Gilead. Isn't that interesting? You use a biblical name. It's not, all, it's not all they add biblical, but we'll get to that in a minute. The Handmaid's Tale explores themes of women in subjugation in a patriarchal society. In other, in other words, again, it, it, the, the implication is um, it's, it's, you know, the Bible, the Bible is just patriarchal. It's a bunch of men. It's a bunch of men just keeping women down. As if, and God supports all that, and it's just not true. But anyway, The Handmaid's Tale explores themes of women and subjugation in a patriarchal society and the various means by which these women attempt to gain individualism and independence. Now here's where it gets interesting. In the first episode, one of the characters talks back to an authority and her eyes gouged out as punishment. And it's explained, in other words, that gouging out of the eye is explained with a misquote of Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. So let's say that you're sitting at home. Let's say first, let's say you know nothing about Christianity, nothing about the Bible. You're watching a handmaid's tale. And, and so this, this woman talks back to one of the authority. They gouge her eye out and they say, you know, they, they say, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. You know, and, 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 and you go, wait, wait a minute. I've heard that before. <laughs> I've heard that before. That sounds like it's a Bible, you know. And automatically you start going, what a gruesome book. You know, that's so gruesome. that You know, it says pluck out your eyes. So, but that's not all they do. Later in the series, a character is found guilty of, of same-sex sexual activity and wakes up after surgery to find that she's undergone genital mutilation. Then in another episode, one of the commanders of the regime confesses to, quote, lust and covetousness, and he is punished by what? Having his hand cut off. All of these punishments on the program allude to the passage that we're looking at. And so that's why I ask, say, what, what they're saying, what they're saying on the program in a very subtle, if not outright way, is that the Bible condones self-mutilation. And it doesn't. But that's the way it's portrayed in that program. So is this what Jesus meant? No. Now, here's why. I'll, I'll, I, this is not original for me. I read this the other day. Is this what Jesus meant? If so, why don't we see more one-eyed or one-handed church members? <laughs> 
I thought that was so good because that's a great question, you know. If Jesus meant that, you know, how do we know, though, that Jesus didn't mean that? I mean, how do we know that? You know, somebody might say, well, how do you, well, how do you know that? Jesus said it. Jesus said, pluck out your eye if you've got a problem with that. You know, get serious. You get serious here and pluck your eye out. How do we know that Jesus didn't mean that literally? Well, here, here's... Here's what helps me. I could give you numerous examples, but here's one. When Jesus said, and he did say, I am the door, should we expect Jesus to have like hinges on him and a doorknob or something? No. I mean, we, we pretty well know what that means, right? I am the door. He must be the entranceway to something, right? Instead of thinking, you know, that he's a literal door. So that helps me. That helps. Okay, that's, that's one example. And then I like this one. When Jesus reinstates Peter after Peter's denial of him. Remember when Peter denied Jesus? And there comes a point in Peter's life where Jesus reinstates him. He never asks Peter to cut out his tongue, does he? And he says, you know, hey, you messed up, man. You denied me. Cut that tongue out so you'll never do it again, you know. No, no. Um, he reinstates him. And instead of cutting out his tongue, he said, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? So let me ask you before we wrap up, what do you think Jesus means here? If he doesn't mean literally cut your eye out and cut your hand off, if he's not talking about self-mutilization, what do you what do you think that he means? Anybody? Okay. Okay, good. Anybody else want to say something else about it? I'm sorry? Okay, yeah, okay. That certainly would be part of it. Um Okay, good, good. Anybody else? I'm sorry? Yeah, okay, okay. All, all of these are, are, are great, great answers. Um, here's something that I, I read. It's, it, Jesus' point is that there is nothing as costly or significant as eternal separation from God. Because he says, look, you know, by all means, by all means, don't be eternally separated from God over, over these issues. So first, there's nothing as costly or significant as eternal separation from God. And that nothing that leads us to sin should be tolerated. See, you can hold that view without going to the extreme of self-mutilization. Uh, you, can, you can hold this that, that look, Jesus is saying, look, get, get so serious Get so serious about sin. Get so serious about your walk with me. Get so serious about exceeding righteousness. Get so serious about it that you will let nothing lead you into sin, not anything to be tolerated. You know, we had, had numerous discussions over the last couple of weeks. Different, different things have been brought up about, you know, you know, should, a, should a Christian smoke pot? Should a Christian drink alcohol? This, these always bring up a lot of, yeah, but what about, what, what about, and look, you know, I've just tried to restate again, look, my whole goal is, is um, not to argue and not to condemn. It's just say, just like that statement, I don't want anything that leads me into sin to be tolerated. I just want to, I just want to be able to carefully, more and more, live carefully. And, and what, whatever it takes to get that done, you know, whatever needs to be eliminated or, or, or set aside or just, nope, not that, you know. Uh, because notice, before we close, I'm sorry? 
Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, right, exactly. Exactly, heart, yep, exactly. One last thing, just notice in verses 29 and 30, for it is better, it is better. And I think that, that's, the, that's the kind of, I guess that's, that's kind of what I mean over these last couple of Sundays, is, is getting at what is better, what is better. Jesus says, it is better. You know, in other words, as you start thinking through things, how are you going to live your life and how are you going to follow Jesus and how are you going to pursue exceeding righteousness? Uh, let, you know, let's, let's, let's go for what's better, what's better for me. Heavenly Father, these are the people you love. This is your church. And, uh, Lord, for those who are even joining us tonight by live stream or part of your family, Lord, we, we want, really, we really want to, uh, to live pursuing exceeding righteousness, that, that exceeds this self-righteous front, this, this whitewashing that we are so capable of doing, of trying to look a certain way, sound a certain way on the outside, and, 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 and then being just a bunch of dead men's bones on the inside. So, Lord, we want to avoid that at all costs. We want the better. We want the better. And so would you help us tonight, Lord, to take this seriously and just say, look, I'm not going to tolerate this or this or whatever it is. I'm not going to tolerate it. It's not worth it. Um, and I want, to, uh, I want to live carefully for Jesus and bring no shame to him, bring no shame to his church, bring no shame to family and our loved ones. So, uh, Lord, you've given us your spirit, and so may we walk in the spirit that we'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so we go in that strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, everybody.